Section 21 of On Benefits. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. On Benefits by Seneca. Translated by Aubrey Stewart. Book 6, Chapters 33 to 43. Chapter 33. However, to return to my subject you see how easy it is to return the kindness of the prosperous and even of those who occupy the highest places of all mankind tell them not what they wish to hear but what they will wish that they always had heard though their ears be stopped by flatteries yet sometimes truth may penetrate them give them useful advice do you ask what service you can render to a prosperous man Teach him not to rely upon his prosperity, and to understand that it ought to be supported by the hands of many trusty friends. Will you not have done much for him if you take away his foolish belief that his influence will endure forever, and teach him that what we gain by chance passes away soon, and at a quicker rate than it came, that we cannot fall by the same stages by which we rose to the height of good fortune? but that frequently between it and ruin there is but one step? You do not know how great is the value of friendship, if you do not understand how much you give to him to whom you give a friend, a commodity which is scarce not only in men's houses, but in whole centuries, and which is nowhere scarcer than in the places where it is thought to be the most plentiful. Pray, do you suppose that those books of names which your nomenclator, footnote, the nomenclator was a slave who attended his master in canvassing and on similar occasion for the purpose of telling him the names of whom he met in the street can hardly carry or remember are those of friends it is not your friends who crowd to knock at your door and who are admitted to your greater or lesser leaves chapter thirty four to divide one's friends into classes is an old trick of kings and their imitators it shows great arrogance to think that to touch or to pass one's dearest hold can be a valuable privilege or to grant as an honour that you should sit nearer one's foot door than others or enter house before them although within the house there are many more doors which shut out even those who have been admitted so far with us gaius gracchus and shortly after him livius drusus were the first to keep themselves apart from the mass of their adherents and to admit some to their privacy some to their more select and others to their general receptions these men consequently had friends of the first and second rank and so on but in none had they true friends can you apply the name of friend to one who is admitted in his regular order to pay his respects to you or can you expect perfect loyalty from one who is forced to slip at your presence through a grudgedly open door how can a man arrive at using bold freedom of speech with you if he is only allowed to his proper turn to make use of the common phrase hail to you which is used by perfect strangers whenever you go to any of these great men whose levies interest the whole city though you find all the streets beset with throngs of people and the passers-by hardly able to make their way through the crowd you may be sure that you have come to a place where there are many men but no friends of their patron we must not seek our friends in our entrance hall but in our own breast it is there that we ought to be received there retained and hoarded up in our minds 
teach this and you will have repaid your debt of gratitude chapter 35 if you are useful to your friend only when he is in distress and are superfluous when all goes well with him you form a mean estimate of your own value as you can bear yourself wisely both in doubtful and prosperous and in adverse circumstances by showing prudence in doubtful cases courage in misfortune and self-restraint in good fortune so in all circumstances you can make yourself useful to your friend do not desert him in adversity but do not wish that it may befall him the various incidents of human life will afford you many opportunities of proving your loyalty to him without wishing him evil he who prays that another may become rich in order that he may share his riches really has a view to his own advantage although his prayers are esteemably offered in behalf of his friend and similarly he who wishes that his friend may get into some trouble from which his own friendly assistance may extricate him a most ungrateful wish prefers himself to his friend and thinks it worth while that his friend should be unhappy in order that he may prove his gratitude this very wish makes him ungrateful for he wishes to rid himself of his gratitude as though it were a heavy burden in returning a kindness it makes a great difference whether you are eager to bestow a benefit or merely to free yourself from a debt he who wishes to return a benefit will study his friend's interests and will hope that a suitable occasion will arise he who only wishes to free himself from an obligation will be eager to do so by any means whatever which shows very bad feeling do you say we may be asked that eagerness to repay kindness belongs to a morbid feeling of gratitude i cannot explain my meaning more clearly than by repeating what i have already said you do not want to repay but to escape from the benefit which you have received you seem to say when shall i get free from this obligation i must strive by any means in my power to extinguish my debt to him you would be thought to be far from grateful if you wished to pay a debt to him with his own money yet this wish of yours is even more unjust for you invoke curses upon him and call down terrible imprecations upon the head of the one who ought to be held sacred by you no one i suppose would have any doubt of your wickedness if you were openly to pray that he might suffer poverty captivity hunger or fear yet what is the difference between openly praying for some of these things and silently wishing for them for you do wish for some of these go and enjoy your belief that this is gratitude to do what not even an ungrateful man would do supposing he confined himself to repudiating the benefit and did not go so far as to hate his benefactor chapter thirty six who would call aeneas pious if he wished that his native city might be captured in order that he might save his father from captivity who would point to the sicilian youths as good examples for his children if they had prayed that etna might flame with unusual heat and pour forth a vast mass of fire in order to afford them an opportunity of displaying their filial affection by rescuing their parents from the midst of the conflagration rome owes scipio nothing if he kept the punic war alive in order that he might have the glory of finishing it she owes nothing to the sea if they prayed for public disasters to give themselves an opportunity of displaying their brave self-devotion 
it is the greatest scandal for a physician to make work for himself and many who have aggravated the diseases of their patients that they may have the greater credit for curing them have either failed to cure them at all or have done so at the cost of the most terrible suffering to their victims chapter thirty seven it is said at any rate hecaton tells us that when Callistratus, with many others was driven into exile by his factious and licentiously free country someone prayed that such trouble might befall athenians that they would be forced to recall the exiles on hearing which he prayed that god might forbid his return upon such terms when someone tried to console our own countrymen rutilius for his exile pointing out that civil war was at hand and that all exiles would soon be restored to rome he answered with even greater spirit what harm have i done you that you should wish that i may return to my country more unhappily than i quit it my wish is that my country should blush at my being banished rather than she should mourn at my having returned an exile of which every one is more ashamed than the sufferer is not exile at all these two persons who did not wish to be restored to their homes at the cost of a public disaster but preferred that two should suffer unjustly than that all should suffer alike are thought to have acted like good citizens and in like manner it does not accord with the character of a grateful man to wish that his benefactor may fall into troubles which he may dispel because even though he may mean well to him yet he wishes him evil to put out a fire which you yourself have lighted will not even gain acquittal for you let alone credit chapter thirty eight in some states an evil wish was regarded as a crime it is certain that at athens demodus obtained a verdict against one who sold furniture for funerals by proving that he had prayed for great gains which he could not obtain without the death of many persons yet it is a stock question whether he was rightly found guilty perhaps he prayed not that he might sell his wares to many persons but that he might sell them dear or that he might procure what he was going to sell cheaply since his business consisted of buying and selling why should you consider his prayer to apply to one branch of it only although he made profit from both besides this you might find every one of his trade guilty for they all wish that is secretly pray as he did you might moreover find a great part of the human race guilty for who is there who does not profit by his neighbour's wants a soldier if he wishes for glory must wish for war the farmer profits by corn being dear a large number of litigants raise the price of forensic eloquence physicians make money by a sickly season dealers in luxuries are made rich by the effeminacy of youth suppose that no storms and no conflagrations injured our dwellings the builder's trade would be at a standstill the prayer of one man was detected but it was just like the prayers of all other men do you imagine that aruntius and heterius and all other professional legacy hunters do not put up the same prayers as undertakers and grave-diggers though the latter know not whose death it is that they wish for while the former wish for the death of their dearest friends from whom on account of their intimacy they have most hopes of inheriting a fortune no one's life does the undertaker any harm whereas these men starve if their friends are long about dying 
They do not therefore merely wish for their debts in order that they may receive what they have earned by a disgraceful servitude, but in order that they may be set free from a heavy tax. There can, therefore, be no doubt that such persons repeat with even greater earnestness the prayer for which the undertaker was condemned. For whoever is likely to profit such men by dying does them an injury by living. Yet the wishes of all these are alike, well known and unpunished. Lastly, let every man examine his own self. Let him look into the secret thoughts of his heart and consider what it is that he silently hopes for, how many of his prayers he would blush to acknowledge, even to himself, how few there are which he could repeat in the presence of witnesses. Chapter 39 Yet we must not condemn everything which we find worthy of blame. As, for instance, this wish about our friends which we have been discussing arises from a misdirected feeling of affection, and falls into the very error which it strives to avoid. For the man is ungrateful at the very time when he hurries to prove his gratitude. He prays aloud, May he fall into my power, may he need my influence, may he not be able to be safe and respectable without my aid. May he be so unfortunate that whatever return I make to him may be regarded as a benefit. To the gods alone, he adds, may domestic treasons encompass him, which can be quarreled by me alone. May some powerful and virulent enemy, some excited and armed mob, assail him. May he be set upon by a creditor or an informer. Chapter 40 See how just you are you would never have wished any of these misfortunes to befall him if he had not bestowed a benefit upon you not to speak of the graver guilt which you incur by returning evil for good you distinctly do wrong in not waiting for the fitting time for each action for it is as wrong to anticipate this as it is not to take it when it comes a benefit ought not always to be accepted and ought not in all cases to be returned if you were to return it to me against my will, you would be ungrateful. How much more ungrateful are you if you force me to wish for it? Wait patiently. Why are you unwilling to let my bounty abide with you? Why do you chaff at being laid under an obligation? Why, as though you were dealing with a harsh usurer, you are in such a hurry to sign and seal an equivalent bond? Why do you wish me to get into trouble? Why do you call upon the gods to ruin me? If this is your way of returning a kindness, what would you do if you were exacting repayment of a debt? Chapter 41 Above all, therefore, my liberalis, let us learn to live calmly under an obligation to others, and watch for opportunities of repaying our debt without manufacturing them. Let us remember to seize the first opportunity of setting ourselves free shows ingratitude. For no one repays with good will that which he is unwilling to owe, and his eagerness to get it out of his hands shows that he regards us as a burden rather than as a favor. How much better and more righteous is it to bear in mind that we owe to our friends, and to offer repayment not to obtrude it, nor to think ourselves too much indebted, because a benefit is a common bond which connects two persons. Say, I do not delay to repay your kindness to me. I hope that you will accept my gratitude cheerfully. If irresistible fate hangs over either of us, 
and destiny rules either that you must receive your benefit back again or that i must receive a second benefit why then of us two let him give that what was one to give i am ready to receive it this not the part of turnus to delay that is the spirit which i shall show whenever the time comes in the meanwhile the gods shall be my witnesses chapter forty two i have noted in you my liberalis and as it were touched with my hand a feeling of fussy anxiety not to be behindhand in doing what is your duty this anxiety is not suitable to a grateful mind which on the contrary produces the utmost confidence in oneself and which drives away all trouble by the consciousness of real affection towards one's benefactor to say take back what you gave me is no less a reproach than to say you are in my debt let this be the first privilege of a benefit that he who bestowed it may choose the time when he will have it returned but i fear that men may speak ill of me you do wrong if you are grateful only for the sake of your reputation and not to satisfy your conscience you have in this matter two judges your benefactor whom you ought not and yourself whom you cannot deceive but say you if no occasion of repayment offers am i always to remain in his debt yes but you should do so openly and willingly and should view with great pleasure what he has entrusted to you if you are vexed at not having yet returned a benefit you must be sorry that you ever received it but if he deserved that you should receive a benefit from him why should he not deserve that you should long remain in his debt chapter forty three those persons are much mistaken who regard it as a proof of a great mind to make offers to give and to fill many men's pockets and houses with their presence for sometimes these are due not to a great mind but to a great fortune they do not know how far more great and more difficult it sometimes is to receive than to lavish gifts i must disparage neither act it is as proper to a noble heart to owe as to receive for both are of equal value when done virtuously indeed to owe is the more difficult because it requires more pains to keep a thing safe than to give it away we ought not therefore to be in a hurry to repay nor need we seek to do so out of due season for to hasten to make repayment at the wrong time is as bad as to be slow to do so at the right time my benefactor has entrusted his bounty to me i ought not to have any fears either on his behalf or on my own he has a sufficient security he cannot lose it except he loses me nay not even if he loses me i have returned thanks to him for it that is i have requited him he who thinks too much about repaying a benefit must suppose that his friend thinks too much about receiving repayment make no difficulty about either course if he wishes to receive his benefit back again let us return it cheerfully if he prefers to leave it in our hands why should we dig up his treasure why should we decline to be its guardians he deserves to be as allowed to do whichever he pleases as for fame and reputation let us regard them as matters which ought to accompany but which ought not to direct our actions End of section 21. Recording by Anna Naumoska.